Welcome back to the Ask Different Podcast. This is episode number 27, recorded June 9th, 2012. I'm Kyle Cronin. I'm Jason Zellis. I'm Nathan Greenstein. And we are back again. Our hiatus. <laughs> our has... summer hiatus that uh, was supposed to span at least some of the summer, but wound up just starting the same as day soon summer as summer started. started. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I didn't want us to go too long. Um, my, the reason why... I needed a hiatus was because I was moving to a different job in a different city and starting my professional career. So different state. Can't forget that one. Of course. Of course. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of a little bit in the process of slowly settling into my apartment, but I do have the most important thing. Uh, Fios. So (laughs) most important thing. Internet. That's right. And fast at that. Yeah, it's something like three, four, maybe even five times faster than a, the the average sustained connection by our lowly little cable connections. Is that correct? I would I would say so, especially for upload speeds. Oh yeah, definitely for your uploads. No, yeah. no question there. That's probably more like twenty five times as fast. Isn't cable usually rated for less than a megabit on cable connections? Well, like any three. connection. I think some of the Doxis three stuff uh, has better upload speeds, but I've got like three megs up with a Doxis three modem. Yeah, um, but it's 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 nothing compared to FiOS. Like yeah. uh, they, Verizon just announced they are upgrading all like the FiOS plans. They're basically doubling them. Um, so the plan that I signed up for, twenty five up, twenty five down, is now uh, they're replacing it at the, at the same price point with something that's uh, fifty meg fifty megabits down. And at the high end of the price point, it uh, is up to 300 megabits down and 65 up i surprisingly i have some kind of a fiber rollout in my area because i remember when i checked comcast site that i could have a connection rated for 120 down i have no idea what the up is probably like four or five or something ludicrous um but it costs kind of way too much yeah um i i think i think the downstream speed for cable is not too much of a problem um but definitely not the synchronous nature of fiber right exactly exactly it Um, will be nice to be back in california because they do have a synchronous 50 megabit fiber connection straight into the office and that'll be uh that'll be a nice change i do have to say fiber is aptly named because it is very regular in that uh (laughs) In that um, it, there aren't really like a lot of like peaks and valleys in terms of the, the speed. It's very consistent. Okay, Carl. What? I thought it was a good <laughs> joke. <laughs> All right, whatever. Uh, so uh, we actually have a topic for today. Um, so our topic for today is, is doing CSS editing with Apple stuff, mostly Macs. Uh, so Nathan's actually been using a lot of these tools that we're going to be talking about, and I kind of want to just turn it over to him to sort of um, guide us through it. All right. So CSS work on a Mac can be as simple or as complex as you want it to be. And all Macs come with everything you need to write CSS. You've got text edit and you've got Safari. That's all you really need. And the tools we're going to cover here are really designed to make it a little easier, a little faster, a little bit better. And there's actually a lot of angles that you can approach CSS work to do that. And the most basic is a text editor. And I personally like uh, Chocolate, which is a little text editor that does a lot of languages, but it's very plain and simple, but it also has 
all of the features that I want in a text editor. And it's, it's lightweight while still powerful. And so that's my preference. Um, what do you guys use for, for just plain text editing? Well, I, 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 my go-to editor has pretty much been text mate for a while. Um, I realize it hasn't been updated in forever, but it's still kind of, it's still kind of set the standard. Like even, even modern editors like, um, like chocolate and, uh, sublime, uh, text two, which is, I've, I've also been using a lot recently. Um, there are significant things about them that are based off of, um, stuff that TextMate has done. I think that they also, I think both of those support TextMate, uh, themes. Uh, and I think th- they both support bundles to some extent. I'm not really sure. Um, so I probably shouldn't be talking. <laughs> Um, but I, I really do like TextMate, um, because it's, it's, it's been very consistent. It, it's, um, it's something that I've, I've used for, for years. And so I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable using it. Um, and so in, in terms of actually CSS editing, I actually discovered shortly, um, just, just a short while ago, um, that it really that the the bundle that they provide included with with the software is actually pretty neat uh, for for um, editing CSS, especially creating new um, what do you call them rules maybe, so like padding or background or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, you just type you just type the like the, the start of it like you know you might type um, font or uh, you know background or padding or margin or whatever and then you hit tab and then a little menu pops up where you can select um which bundle you want to fire uh so if you want to do like um like margin or something where you want to do both the, the top and bottom as well as the, the left and right um you just select that option and then uh you're you enter in the individual values and then you just hit tab between them and then when you're done you're put at the end of the semicolon afterwards and you can continue on. So it, it just makes it very easy to sort of enter multiple values in. Um, the, the downside is that some of the, some of the bundle actions are so uh, there's, there's so many options that you can't select the lower ones with uh, a, a number on your keyboard. So you got to click it or I think you, maybe you can use the arrows on your, on your keyboard to select it. But the, you know, once you're doing that, it sort of takes you out of the flow a little bit. So it's not perfect, but, uh, as far as text editors go, TextMate is not bad. I don't have a personal editor. I've jumped around, uh, quite a bit whenever I've done any front end work and front end work is actually some of the lightest work that I do being a sysadmin by trade. Uh, you know, I don't exactly work on a lot of front end designs for web pages, um, I think the two editors that have that I've gotten most mileage out of were Coda and Vim, and a lot more Vim than Coda, shockingly enough. And that's Vim is kind of my go-to for any kind of uh, for any kind of text editing when I need to do something even remotely, uh, remotely quickly and remotely expediently, because Vim's shortcuts and jumping and the sheer amount of commands that make it terribly difficult to use also make it the fastest thing possible. And I can go to what, whatever I want in the file 
quickly. And then there's code folding and everything else that it supports that's just built in that makes it completely worthwhile for me. Um, I'm kind of disappointed that Coda's CSS, its visual CSS editor disappeared because conceptually I loved the way that they represented the rules in the editor itself. Uh, But I understand that as CSS grows, mapping every single one of those rules and definitions is pretty much impossible. And there's probably a lot of things that you can't really sanely render like 3D transforms and everything else. But they still have, Coda still has excellent uh, auto-completion for the particular rules and a lot of really good helpers for the specific values, the orders, and everything else. As long as you have an editor, if you if you are not fully aware of the rules and the order, like borders, top, left, right, bottom, or top, left, bottom, right, if I remember correctly, uh, then any kind of a GUI application that gives you little tooltips to tell you which parameter you're actually working on are immeasurably helpful. Yeah, it's so good we, that you bring up uh, Coda because... I mean, we were talking about basic text editors, like like Nathan mentioned Chocolate, I mentioned TextMate, but there's also more advanced editors, um, or IDEs, rather, uh, things like Coda and Espresso. Uh, I actually got a chance to try out the new version of Coda 2, and I've, I've actually been doing mostly CSS editing with it, and I really do like how... Um, how I mean, it, it does kind of try to render a little bit, you know, on, on the sidebar, but I, I really do like on that sidebar that you actually have the individual um, selector element things and you just sort of go down there and find which one you need. At the bottom, there's a little thing where you can type and you can filter on what it is. So if you have a really large CSS file, which uh, I've been working with, uh, it makes it really easy to sort of see everything that, oh, so everything that... Uh, every every selector that contains the text results or something, you know, and you can just filter based on that. So uh, I, I, that's very helpful for me and, and sort of the prompting and stuff. I don't think Coda has the, the tab completion like TextMate does and, and, and other editors do. But um, Coda's version of that is the hint sidebar panel, which lets you, as you're typing various properties and rules, it shows the syntax information alongside the editor pane. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also good. It, they're just different approaches. And Coda and Espresso and Dreamweaver, other IDs like that, they do other stuff as well as text editing. They usually have previews and some kind of a NFTP integration so you can send your files off to uh, a server once you're done with them, that sort of thing. And generally, if you're working with a, a full web development workflow, it's not just editing CSS, you, you're going to want to use an IDE because they really are very convenient. It's it's great to be able to, I use Coda, it's great to be able to come into my site and start start editing code and have the preview open and then push push my changes with Git and then upload to the server without having to switch around between apps very much. And I'd say, unless you're using Dreamweaver, which introduces enough problems, I used Dreamweaver for a long time and it, I don't recommend it. Um, unless you're using Dreamweaver, the convenience is well worth having to use a heavier app than a plain text editor for me at least right you could always just not use certain features in coda that you don't that you don't need yeah and it's also entirely it's it's an entirely reasonable workflow to edit all of your your code in vim and then save it and then open up coda and push your changes and and use the the uh deployment related features there yeah i've actually so um I, I've been doing a lot of CSS changes and stuff for, for my work. And 
my workflow has basically been bouncing between uh, TextMate and my my trial expired for TextMate, so I switched to. Um, uh, oh God, what is it called? Sublime. Sublime. So my trial expired for TextMate, so I switched to Sublime Text Two, uh, which is also very good. Um, and I've been using that for editing like PHP and stuff. But for anything that's like CSS related, I I always switch to Coda because uh, it's it's very comfortable editing in there. Um, I saw that the, <laughs> saw that it was available for the fifty dollar price, and and I decided I wanted to avail myself of that opportunity because mm-hmm. I, it is it is a nice piece of software. Coda two is a great update and. In my opinion, it brings it it brings it past what Espresso can do in terms of the terminal built in, which was there already, but the new MySQL editor and the improved code completion and, and that sort of thing. I think Coda two is now a step forward from Espresso, where Coda one was I'd say on par. Yeah, like I don't even use the built in preview. I don't I don't use the built in terminal or Pretty much anything. It's just mostly CSS, but um, it's it's a good CSS. It editor. is a good CSS editor. Like I, so I was I was evaluating different options for CSS editing, and it sort of came down to Coda and Espresso. And Coda was fifty dollars, and Espresso was like I don't know, seventy or seventy five dollars or something like that. So I decided to go with Coda. Yeah, and, and there's more to grow into with Coda as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, for larger projects, it's it's not it doesn't really fit as well because like you know FTP, you know. Typically, you know, if you're if you're developing like a web app and you have a whole deployment process where you're not simply FTPing it to a server, but you're committing it to a repository where it is then merged to another server where it is, you know, QA tested. And then, you know, so you you don't really use those features in a larger project. But um, like I said, it's very easy to sort of just um, narrow down and only use the stuff that you want to use. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it doesn't force you to, to do any specific um, method of of development. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of funny that you mentioned that whole workflow because I recently started doing some just minor script work personally again, and having all of that stuff. Like last night while I was while I was working on it, I had my uh, I had a vertical split, so I had a left half and a right half. The left half was the specific script. The right half was execution of that script. And it was nice just having it laid out straight up right there. And when I was done, I had the option of pushing it to the server, uh, publishing it to the server where it actually runs from, and at the same time using the built-in source control tools to check it in via Coda. It was quite literally a one-window solution, which was what Coda was, uh, was pitched as in the first place. Tap that full screen button and you have no problems with anything uh, getting in your way. Yep. And I'm, I'm doing a, a medium sized project that's got like um, PHP and, and of course front end stuff, but it's also got MySQL uh, stuff and some, some stuff I have to mess around with on, on the command line with Apache. And I can do a lot of that stuff completely within Coda because of the, the, the graphic MySQL manager is kind of fun. I, don't I actually know haven't used that yet. It's is there it's, anything that you can really compare it to specifically? Um, not really, because I haven't used other GUI <laughs> <laughs> MySQL stuff. But it's you know it's it's not it's not geared to be 
super efficient or super powerful. It's, it's for what I used it for is laying out the framework. Here's, here's the structure that I want this table to have and putting in some, some dummy content. And then I really like the part where you can execute queries and test, test your actual code. That's my favorite part. But, (laughs) but anyway, it was fun to bounce between the terminal and the MySQL editor and my PHP script and the split, like you said, that was, yeah. And I, I had never really used, um, I, I never really used just one app for, for that kind of thing. And it was cool. I like it. This, this podcast brought to you by panic software. <laughs> no, I, this, um, I mean, we, we've sort of waxed a lot on, on Coda. It is a good editor. Uh, and I think it's probably safe to say that, uh, the recent release of Coda two, uh, was kind of what prompted us to think, Hmm, let's do a podcast about CSS editing. Yep, yep. So it's understandable that we would talk about it a lot, but I do kind of want to move on to other okay. tools. All um, right. but sort of related to Coda, there was diet Coda. Have you guys tried diet Coda at all? A little bit. Um, Diet Coda is is the pared down iPad version of Coda, and I've, I've used it a little bit. But to me, the the limitation that you can only work with files that are on an FTP server limits it severely, because I never work directly on a server. I, I'm always working in in a local copy, and then very rarely I actually push to a server, and I never do that directly. You know, I never hit save and have it go to a server. And to me, that really limits the usability of Diet Coda. But it's a cool, it's a cool idea, and I really like their their little super loop thing where when you're when you're moving the cursor, it gets all big and useful and everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a cool idea, and I like the editor, but I never work directly on a server, so I can't really use it. Well, what about uh, Air Preview? Did you try that? I haven't gotten it to work, and I know. Coda 2.0.1 is is available for direct customers and and pending on the Mac App Store, which is supposed to address uh, Air Preview reliability stuff. And so once that gets approved, I'll be able to try it out. But I haven't gotten it to work yet. I just get a blank screen. Unfortunately, I haven't done any HTML work, any actual front-end web page work. So I, I've paired it using the whole... Flashing colors, point your point your iPad's camera at the screen. That mm-hmm. actually kind of freaked me out, to be honest. The, the thought, it, it's one of those things that it's not exactly a security concern, so to speak. But when I realized what was going on is that every once in a while, the iPad camera was just waking up and looking for something that rather surprised me. Um, but yeah, as Air Preview itself, I have the two linked, but since I'm not working on actual HTML front-end content, unfortunately, I've not been able to see it and let it just get the updates as I'm, as I'm working on it progressively. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is genius, the fact that it does it based on, based on colors. Um, I think you know, even, even Apple's apps, like I, I think before they had uh, home sharing on in their remote app, um, did you have to type in a code or something? It was just, it was just, I don't quite remember. So I could be misremembering, but, um, I don't think I've ever seen that kind of pairing done before. And that is really, that is really unique. I'm, I'm personally waiting for their, their iPhone app that they're going to be calling, uh, caffeine free Coda. <laughs> Not funny, decaf. but yeah, yeah. Decaf. I think you mean Coda zero. Yeah, <laughs> Coda Max. That's now what they'll Splendor. rename the desktop version. It's like Diet Coda, but for men. <laughs> Coda Tin. 
Yeah. So, so continuing in the, the actual text editing part, there are a few other, there's a couple main tools that you can use to kind of speed up that process. And for me, the main one is text expander. So I have a group set up in text expander that's CSS editing, and that's set to only apply in Coda and Chocolate and other apps I use for CSS. And the main syntax that I use for that is uh, I, I take properties that would take a little bit of time to type in, in an editor. Like, say, I want to do margin left. I have to do type out margin dash L and then use the arrow keys a couple times to get to the actual autocomplete thing. I set up text expander so I can type ML colon, and it expands to margin-left colon, and then puts in the space and the semicolon and puts the cursor in the right spot. So I can, I can just type ML colon and then 25 pixels, whatever, whatever, my, uh, whatever the value I want to use is. And that, that's faster for me than using the uh, tab auto-completion because I can just keep typing normally and things get expanded as I go. I don't have to wait for a menu to appear or hit tab or anything. And that can be customized to a lot of different properties or, or to if you have other structural things or if you've got classes that you use commonly, you could use that. Yeah, the benefit for using something like Text uh, Expander is that uh, you can set up your shortcuts and then use them in multiple apps. Yeah. So you don't have to learn the shortcuts for different apps if you ever wanted to switch, which is, mm-hmm. which is good. And Coda's uh, snippets tool is, or what is it? Clips, that's what they call it. Clips, it's, it's cool and I like the tab the tabable tokens thing, but you can't set them up to be triggered by typing something. You have to set up keyboard shortcuts for each one, and that's not really practical for each different CSS property. So, well, like I said, editors like TextMate and, and Sublime Text um, do provide that kind of tab stuff, but you know you don't get the other goodness that that uh, that Coda provides. If you right, well, those. Coda Coda does provide the autocomplete tab stuff. It, I just work faster with the text expander thing because I can just keep typing and and have things expand as I go, not use the the auto completion or look at the menu to make sure it's gonna expand the right thing. Right. It's just a personal preference. Do you guys use any other tools for, for editing? Not really. There's one other that I use sometimes which is not really related to editing itself, but it is for, for getting CSS code. Um, it's a Photoshop plugin called CSS Hat, and its goal is to take a styled object in Photoshop and then give you copyable CSS code that will mimic, to the best of CSS's ability, the appearance of that object. So I could make, if I'm, if I'm making a button and I'm designing it in Photoshop, which is what I usually do, I can make the button, you know, get the rounded corners I want, get the the gradient background I want and the shadows and, and borders and everything that I want. And then rather than having to go in to Coda and start writing the CSS to mimic that, including 4,000 different vendor prefixes, I can copy it right out of the plugin and just paste it into my CSS file. And the results so far from what I've seen have been very good. There are a couple times when you've got multiple shadow effects layering and stuff like that. It doesn't match quite as well as Photoshop does, but it matches at least as well as what it would get with me doing it manually, and it's certainly a heck of a lot faster. So I recommend that if you start your designs in Photoshop and then come to CSS. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, a eh, little overpriced, in my opinion. $30. Th- wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, 20, 20 for, it's, it's in beta right now, but yeah, it's a little bit, it's expensive for what it is, but it 
does save a considerable amount of time if you start your designs in Photoshop a lot. Yeah, you shouldn't be charging for software if you're in beta. Well, it's fully functional. It's there. It's in beta in that they're adding support for preprocessors and some of the more advanced effects for text and that sort of thing. But it is functional. Okay. It's like Minecraft. Well, <laughs> I was right. I was about to complain that they didn't uh, that they don't ship the the. I I don't even know what to call them, but basically what amounts to the IE prefixes. And then I realized <laughs> that they don't have this working on Windows. That uh, oh, I, I mean like there's there's a lot of tools out there to generate stuff specific to IE. Mm. I'm assuming it's basically six through eight, but notably six that you can actually do a lot of these effects because of some expandability that Microsoft put in there when oh yeah six came out, and it's like ten lines of yeah. absolute unreadable noise, but Given I that this it, isn't a Windows app yet, it's a little excessive to to replicate Internet Explorer to that extent. Yeah, I know it does some stuff. Like if you have a a gradient, it'll turn it into an SVG thing for Internet Explorer. So it does some of that stuff, but I'm not sure how. Honestly, for stuff like shadows and gradients, I tell Internet Explorer users that too bad. <laughs> get a new browser. <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're going to use IE6, you're not going to get any pretty drop shadows. So there you go. But yeah, anyway. yeah, IE6, yeah. Not, a, not a good time. <laughs> Tabs, what are those? Oh, well, I, I remember when I thought that I was, ah, I'm just fine using the Windows XP um, toolbar that would group um, uh, open windows by the application. Oh. <laughs> so you could, you could like, I think right click on it and then you would see like a list yeah. of all your open windows. Oh yeah, that's fine for me. And nowadays we all have 35 tabs open at once. Of course. Well, it's kind of it's kind of almost like an archaeological expedition when I start trying to close them down. It's like, "Oh, I opened that yesterday, and then that the day before, and then okay, all right. <laughs> oh, that article that I meant to read last week. Oh, I got to get to that." <laughs> anyway, so the next stage after you are writing your CSS is testing it, seeing what it actually looks like in a browser. And Coda and other IDEs have a built-in preview, which is very good. It uses WebKit, the same as Safari and Chrome. Um, but there are a couple reasons that I like to use a full browser for that. And one of them is a tool called Live Reload. And Live Reload is an app that sits in your, in your menu bar and watches a folder. And that folder has your CSS code for a project you're working on. And when you've got... So, so what you do is you add a little line that loads a JavaScript snippet to the bottom of your HTML file that's using the CSS. And then when you, that way, when you have the HTML file open in a browser and you save your CSS file, the, the new, it's essentially like the page is being reloaded automatically so that the new CSS rules are applied and the, the appearance changes. But the cool thing is that it doesn't actually trigger a page reload. It just injects the new style rules without losing the page's state. So if you're working within some web app and you've got, you know, you've you've clicked eight screens through and you want to change the color of a button or something, you can you can do that without reloading the page and having to go back and find your state each time, which is a big time saver. And the nice thing about the JavaScript snippet is that it means that it works on any device on your local network. So if I've got the page open on my iPad, 
it'll automatically inject the new style. Or if I've got it open on um, the, the iPhone simulator in, in Xcode, it'll inject the new style. And that's a big time saver for tweaking stuff and, and just making little changes in a stated app. Definitely. Oh, of course, you got to make sure that you don't actually commit that little bit of JavaScript uh, to a repository uh, by accident because that, that could easily happen. Yeah, um, well, it's not. I mean, it's not a big deal. It's not that long. Well, I mean, you're you're. It, it's not the length of it. It's you know the fact that it's making a call to some resource that you know if if that's ever you know if if someone else tries to load that on their machine or if it's you know. God forbid, put like in production, you know, you could have a, a potential problem. Um, but it's, fa- eh, it's, eh. it's fairly atomic. It doesn't. I, I mean, I've ac- I've done plenty of accidentally not having the app open or accidentally typing the snippet wrong or that sort of thing, and it it just either it gives a four hundred four on the snippet or the snippet doesn't do anything because it can't connect to the live reload process. Well, I'm thinking more more in terms of um, like where it loads the script from. Um, oh, I see. So, like, you know, localhost, you know. Yeah, that's you know, true. That, that could be, your site is hacking my computer on port 35729. I'm reporting <laughs> you to the authorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, li- Live Reload um, is a very, very neat idea. Uh, I tried it out myself. Um, it doesn't quite work for what I've been working on because it seems to be tripped up by, uh, like, if the, if the file... If the if the file requested by the web browser is not the same name as the file that you changed, it doesn't realize that it's the same file. Uh, I I really wish that it was a bit dimmer, and if it just detected any CSS change at all, it just reloaded all the CSS. Because honestly, that's what you're doing anyway if you hit reload in the browser. So it's not really, you know, it's not really that big of a computational hit. Just reload everything every time it detects a change, and then that way, you know, you're good to go. You could probably simulate the files and fix that. <sighs> it's that's work (laughs) yeah Yeah, no i could probably do that and another thing to mention is that if you save the html or a javascript file it automatically triggers a hard reload just because you're going to be reloading anyway um and this is awesome for a number of reasons but but one of them you know beyond the state thing um what you can do is have a web browser open for me on another monitor for somebody else it could be another tab or sorry another uh what's it called desktop whatever and you can literally have the browser open in the background on the other monitor and as you save your css the browser automatically updates without you having to switch to the browser app and reload it and that's really good that's really good because i can be i can be working and not have to break flow at all and that's the the reason that i don't use the coda preview is first of all to have it on a different window and i know i could do that with coda split it out and everything but the main reason is that Coda 2 introduces a feature that is kind of like this, where when you save a CSS file, it automatically triggers a hard reload on the page, and that apparently cannot be turned off. So what happens for me is that in the Coda preview, even though it's got the live reload snippet and it should not be reloading all the way, it ends up getting reloaded because Coda catches the save and reloads the page. So that's why I don't use the built-in preview. Oh, that's kind of annoying. Yeah. And I'm hoping that there'll be a checkbox for that eventually in the code of preferences, but yeah. So there's another app that is similar to Live Reload called CodeKit, and it is essentially the same thing, um, but the, 
the live reloading is a little bit less robust. It uses AppleScript to talk to the browsers instead of a JavaScript snippet. So it has to be in a supported browser running on the same computer. It can't be on an iPad on the same network or in, in Coda or anything like that. Um, but it does also have some other features built in that Live Reload doesn't have, like it can minify your files for you automatically, and it can optimize images a little bit. I got like 4%, so not a huge change, but not bad still. Um, and then the other, the bigger thing for me is that it includes um, JS Hint and JS Lint, and I think CSS as well. So it'll tell you if you've got uh, subtle errors or bad practices in your code, and it'll warn you about that, which is nice. But the at least the minifying and uh, optimizing are planned for the next version of Live Reload this summer. So the app should be similar before by, before long. Yeah, I tried out CodeKit and, and it seemed to just ignore my CSS files. So I think I think either they're just assuming that oh, if you're writing a web app nowadays, you're 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 going to use some sort of preprocessor or. Um, they they don't see their tool as being useful to people that are just editing straight CSS. I don't know. Well, that brings us to preprocessors. Well, before we go to preprocessors... But you just went there. <laughs> well, we're going back. Okay. Yeah, before we go to preprocessors, uh, I just want to briefly mention the usefulness of some of the in-browser tools for a developing oh, CSS. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, uh, like, one thing that I really like is... Um, so I can like inspect a specific element on a page and then I can go, um, into the style section on the, on the side of the, uh, the inspector or whatever. Um, and just double click something. And then like, if it, if it's a numeric value, like in pixels, um, I can just use my up and down arrows to slightly change it. So it makes it really easy to, to, um, do kind of a, a bit of a, like a live reload thing where you know, you're you're sort of okay you know I know I need this to line up with this so let me just you know hit this button until it does and then when when it does you just note the value and then you write it in your uh, in your CSS file and automatically saving that value back to your CSS file is planned for the next version of Live Reload as well which is going to be nice yeah that'll be really and nice yeah another suppo- go ahead uh, I suppose that feature will require live reload to know exactly uh, where attributes are defined in which files. So, yeah. and I should, the other part that I really like of these WebKit developer tools and the inspector is that you can look at the cascade and you can see, well, here's this, you know, that there you've got the star selector and you've got background color white and, but that's crossed out because there's a more specific selector defined on this line. And then that's crossed out because there's a more specific selector on this line. And that's great for diagnosing specificity errors where, you know, why isn't this applying or why is this getting applied? You can see it's, it's like seeing the stack, the call stack in a, in a program that just lets you, you know, what's doing what, which is helpful. Yeah, that is handy. It's also really annoying when you're like, why is this stuff I just added crossed out? And you're using something else. I don't. I don't understand why. <laughs> yeah, specificity is the hardest part of CSS. Oh God, that and Z index, which is, it's not hard. It's just completely insane. <laughs> and, anyway, and like vertically aligning things. Ah, just use tables. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. You heard one, it from Nathan. One related aside, I want to interject into this part because it's very relevant 
have either of you actually used Firefox in the last uh, six months? Only for debugging. Yeah, testing stuff, see how, seeing how it works, yeah. And more specifically, have you ever used Firefox Aurora, their, their nightly distribution? No. no. Um, do yourselves a favor and seek out Firefox Aurora. It installs like Chrome Canary, uh, and if you use the straight-up WebKit like Safari, uh, it installs itself. It uses unique profile information. It's a separate application bundle. Go check it out sometime, because there's one little utility that's not CSS-specific, but will also... It's it's DOM-specific uh, and applies a lot of CSS work on top of it. Um Firefox's inspector, which is obviously not the same thing as the WebKit inspector because it's not WebKit underneath, has a 3D inspector. Oh, I have and, seen that. And you, yeah, you can see this yeah. if you just Google image search uh, Firefox 3D inspector, I would imagine. I think it's made its way into some of the stable builds by now, even. Uh, I, I always, if I wanted, I always go straight to Aurora and look for it. Mm. Um, but it's it's really insanely helpful because you open up the inspector and you click on 3D and it takes the web page that you're viewing, it turns it into a 3D object, it zooms it out, and then you start actually seeing the block level elements that make up the the DOM, the the object model of your site. Yeah, um, that is and very you slick. can see you can see each individual divider, each individual span, and each new rule stacks on top of it and so you can actually see like i i've actually had overlaying issues and positional issues and this actually gives you a very instead of just highlighting it in the webkit inspector and seeing the the overlay <laughs> yep the overlay highlight you actually see how it's built up and it just gives you a much greater appreciation for <laughs> for for the mess you've gotten yourself into, <laughs> likely, um, but it gives you it gives you a really good appreciation of how your rules are actually stacking and affecting each other, and it's it's just a great way of being able to visualize this in what amounts to a completely natural way. Yeah, the Firefox developer tools have come a long way recently, and it's great that they're they're putting effort into that. Some of them are really nice. I and I just look forward to seeing it in Chrome because I don't use <laughs> Firefox. And if yeah. I don't have to open it, that'd be even better. <laughs> I, I still overall prefer the WebKit uh, developer tools, especially for JavaScript stuff. Um, just a little a little fuller feature to me. But the Firefox inspectors have gone a long way. And there are, like that 3D thing, some really cool things that I would love to see in, uh, <laughs> in the WebKit inspector. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, do people still use Firebug? Uh, it's it does a. Eh, I kind of use it in parallel with the new developer tools in in Firefox because it has a couple things. Uh, the The main thing is looking for event listeners that I don't think the built-in tools do very well yet. Um, Firebug does a slightly better job of that. That's the main thing I use it for. But for any CSS or or DOM things, I I use the built-in ones. Okay. Because I think I think Firebug sort of prototyped the idea, right? Yeah, Firebug was the 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 prototype for uh, the WebKit inspector, even. Yeah, Firebug was the first uh, the first tool that I know of that wasn't just view source of this web page. Yeah, and Firebug's great. It's 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 nice. Can you imagine trying to debug a modern web page 
with nothing more than view source. <laughs> oh, especially with JavaScript, like being able to set breakpoints and watch expressions and, and use the console is saves so much time. Yeah. Oh, it would be insane. So writing CSS, I don't know, it, it's okay, but I found that sometimes it's really annoying to, um, you know, to have to write out a bunch of those uh, selectors in order to specifically select something that I want in this specific element. Or, you know, if I want like all the, you know, all, like the, the borders and the backgrounds and blah, blah, a bunch of stuff on my site to be the same color or something like that. Uh, it's it's annoying to have to sort of hard code that. Um, and so this sort of leads us into processors. Um, basically... Pre-processors. Pre-processors. Uh, what, the, what these basically do is you, you write in, I, th- I think both... Oh, so we're, we're talking about the base of you two, less and SAS. And I believe both um, are st- like strict uh, supersets of right. CSS. So you can write normal CSS and it'll, it'll just go through just fine. But you can also add in sort of special things um, like variables and, and mix-ins and whatever else they call them. Um, and and that enables you to add a little more structure to how these these um, declarations are, are organized, and then it all just compiles down straight down to uh, normal CSS. Uh, either like when you deploy, or uh, I guess some people do it, you know, on on request. That's probably not a good idea. But mm-hmm. and the the value of this the the particular variable feature is that you can define. So you've you've got background color. You can define background color once at the top of your document. And then whenever you want to change your global background color, you change it in one place rather than doing a regular expression, find and replace to go into the elements where this background is applied and and replace it with a new one or even worse, doing it by hand. It it makes, makes your life easier as a developer. And other things like nested style rules make things a little bit more readable. It's just to make your your life a little bit better, and it's it's like Kyle said, it's not a good idea to compile it in browser because that slows things down for your users. Um, but it's it, they're great for for using as a developer and compiling down to CSS at deployment or during testing. And go ahead. Oh, I was just curious. Did you do you know? Like this, so there are a lot of um, things that are handled different ways in different browsers. A lot of you know custom browser extensions, like I don't know gradients, for example. Um, now, do do some of these processors provide like a uniform way to say I want this to be a gradient, and then it just you know generates you know the the Moz and the WebKit and the IE. There are um, a lot of there are a lot of mix-ins for that, which are like functions that you can use for CSS, where it takes an input and returns some rules. Uh, there's some for that. And then if you're using SAS, there's something called Compass, which is a Ruby-based kind of a, a set of... It's, it's a, an extension of SAS, basically. And it, it helps with those CSS3 cross-browser things. And it also helps with uh, some some common patterns and that sort of stuff. And actually, that that's an interesting point because, to me, that's the main difference between LESS and SAS. Um, they're both great, and they're both fairly easy to start using. But you can go farther with SAS because it's got this Ruby integration for for extents for extensions like Compass. Okay, and so like, what if you're using something like Live Reload? Um, how do you how do you make sure that 
you're com- actually compiling your SAS each time. Live Reload just has a checkbox that lets you compile pretty much every known preprocessor for for all languages that are in web development, including less than SAS. And okay. what happens is you automatically save, and it automatically compiles and sends the browser the compiled CSS. Now, very, how do how do things like um, like Coda play with less than SAS? Um, Coda doesn't do anything special. It's got built-in syntax modes for less than SAS, um, so the auto-completion works and everything. But they don't do anything in terms of automatically compiling. They've left that to the other tools. Okay. So you'll you you know if you're if you're trying to preview like static HTML files, you know, and you want to add some less than SAS, you you need some sort of web server that will do the trans translation for you i guess no not necessarily live reload and this is actually uh we can all see this on live reloads homepage. the very first screenshot there has an option for compiling any sort of pre-processed script and it will do that translation for you as a result of the reloading process Right. Coda, Coda itself. A lot of a lot of editors aren't going to do the translation. Aren't going to do anything on save. I imagine some of them will do it on publish. Um, but live reload itself is one of the many methods that you can do for compiling it into the raw result that has to actually be there for the browser to support it. Well, I mean, I meant like trying to use the built-in preview instead of live reload. But okay, yeah, sure, yeah, that, that'll work. Well, and the the nice thing about Live Reload is that since it's a JavaScript snippet in the page, it works within the Coda preview. And so what you could do is have something in the Coda preview, and then you could save your... Uh, the, the, I guess the trick is to, and you have to do this anyway, in your HTML, make sure that you're linking to the .css file, not the .less or .sass file. And that way, when when you save your, your .less or .sass file, Live Reload compiles it and saves it into the plain CSS file and then it triggers the reload within the preview. So Live Reload does allow you to use the Coda preview if you want. Including Air Preview as well because it's just it's just a browser render. Mm-hmm. Cool. So the next step from, from writing and processing and testing is deployment where you're actually getting your stuff ready to be put on a server and served to your your web page viewers or i guess shown in your web app your your ui web view whatever um and the first step with that is minifying which means taking out comments or white space or extra semicolons that sort of stuff from your code and packing it all onto one line and just to to make it load a little bit faster and there is a really nice app i use for that called smaller and smaller is very, very simple. You drag a folder onto its window and it loads all of the minifiable content from that folder into its, uh, its, its list. And you can click a button to minify everything, or you can command click to select multiple files and right click to concatenate them into one file, which you can then minify. It's just a very streamlined way to chug through all of the text files in your, your uh, deployment folder and turn them into ugly deployable code (laughs) (laughs) this is one of those things that's actually kind of unfortunate in every editor that i've seen in its publishing process is that um as far as ides and publishing is concerned there's there's one destination the end the, the the output destination is where you send it to um and so introducing something like smaller 
is an extra step where you don't use the IDE's publishing tools anymore. You have your directory contents laid out in a way that you drag into the app and then use transmit or you know your 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 file transfer program of choice that you have to do that manually after the fact it's it's just kind of unfortunate that editors have come such a long way in supporting other things and shockingly for whatever reason minifying isn't actually part of that yet yeah commonly and minifying is and concatenating combining the files is one thing that is part of code kit and is planned to be part of the next release of uh live reload and so i don't know t- I, I don't really have a problem with doing it just once when i'm going to deploy um but if it if, if i've get, if i can get something to automatically do it in the background each time i save that's also fine but there's still the process of going into the html file that you're going to end up serving and renaming all of the uh links <laughs> it would actually be awesome if there was some minifying app where you could give it an HTML page and it would automatically go through and find links to those those files that it's changing and update the names to include .min. That would be nice. Maybe a little project for you, Nathan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, like Jason mentioned, you can use Transmit or or whatever other uh, remote access. Fiberduck, Fetch. Yeah. I use Forklift. There's even the built-in FTP function in Finder. I always forget that that actually exists. Mm-hmm. Or terminal, whatever. And uh, I, I, re- I just got to stop here. I really think that um, all these IDEs should not be encouraging the use of FTP. Like, well, SFTP. Well, well it's, uh, but I bet they all still include FTP, right? Yes, they do. <sighs> <laughs> I was doing some work for a client, and he said, okay, you know what, just put the files on the website yourself. And I said, okay, do you have a login? And he just gave me a plain FTP login, and it was his root password. Oh, do people <laughs> realize that like this stuff is transmitted in plain text over the internet? Like, yeah, have Three words. Three words. Shared web hosting. But uh, I, would, I would assume that some of the more reputable shared web hosting will provide like, a, like an SSH as well. Like, you know, you can SCP stuff up, right? I still have DreamHost. I jumped on board with pretty quick because they offered SSH not only not only SFTP but also straight up shell access. Uh, I do think I still have one account that does not necessarily just give SSH out. They're 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 comfortable with it if they if you prove that you actually understand that you know what you're doing. Uh, and of course, everything's jailed and you're an unprivileged user, so it's not like you can really affect anything affect anybody besides yourself um but it's one of those things where you know mom and pop's web host that's here to make money for their handful of people that talk to them about websites um all of these tools cpanel and all of these other web hosting tools that they can just plop on a server that they bought um is very ftp friendly and last i knew still not ssh and sftp friendly uh, it's just crazy that it's 2012 and there's people still using FTP over the internet. Just boggles my mind. Anyway, so um, yeah, so you can use your IDs, FTP stuff, but don't you? You should probably use SFTP or SCP. And modern IDs have SFTP as well. It's not. Yeah. You know, oh Coda, yeah. Coda, you just add an S to the URL and it's fine. Yeah. Okay. 
any editor worth its beans is going to let you do it securely. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I just, I think that having like emphasizing the fact that you can do it non-securely is I think not good. Well, they um, take out FTP and they got a million people. I can't upload my files anymore. Uh, two stars. Well, just have like an advanced preference of like, you know, enable FTP mode or something. Well, the, the people who are complaining about no FTP are not going to be the people to find the advanced preferences window. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> well, but, uh, oh, well, I guess, well, well, it, I guess it, the trade-off is having you, users for, for the people who actually want it. I mean, you, you might incur some support costs. Oh, how do I, how do I enable FTP? But you know, if there's, if there's a checkbox for it and people say, Oh, I have to enable this dangerous setting in order to upload to my web server. Hmm. Maybe I should rethink how I'm doing this. Yeah. Nope. I don't know. I don't know. No, there's when, when you have a goal in mind, it's very difficult to change to to come to the conclusion that you should be doing it differently instead of just figuring out how to do it the way that you want to do it in the first place. I suppose. Um, yeah. So, I mean, th- those kinds of deployment are okay for, you know, smaller projects. Obviously, if you're working with a team, you're probably going to want to use some sort of, um, version control system, Git or subversion. Um, both are equally as good. <laughs> In very different ways of thinking about them, but yeah, yeah. yes, you can continue on. <laughs> I, I I I said that specifically to rile you up, Jason. Yeah. Um, and then if you're for for kind of a more full stack uh, deployment thing, you can use something like Beanstalk, where you commit your repository and you, you know you push your changes to their their server, and it automatically updates the the deployed files. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that one hurt Nathan. What? I know you weren't on the last episode, but Beanstalk, that one hurt. What? I'm confused. I, I'm guessing it probably competes with uh, GitHub. Yes. Well, I guess competes for code hosting, but not for... Uh, you guys don't do the auto-deploy or anything, do you? I think there's hooks, something, something. There, Yes, there are webhooks that you can use to act on the results of the push, uh, having, having actually pushed it up to GitHub, in my particular case, the case that I'm making. Um, and there is also, for the GitHub pages specific aspect, that is, uh, as soon as you commit to the repository, that is put on the queue and uh, deployed as soon as it's finished. But it's, it's but still yes, a little GitHub bit different. GitHub can't then. do this. It's still a little bit different than the the premise, though, right? Because I, I guess I see Beanstalk as like a I don't know the 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 goal is not code hosting. The goal is being able to deploy easily, and GitHub is for code hosting. And then you can you can hook it up to deploy if you want to. I I guess I see that on Beanstalk's homepage that they're talking about. They they do emphasize the the nuts uh nuts to soup is that the word soup to nuts sound, uh, soup to nuts yeah that they, they do they they are emphasizing the entire process to to an actually a viewable result as quickly as possible um but well lesson you know, is better better host your code in github and, and clone the repo to beanstalk and that way 
it'll i don't know i don't know what i should nobody wants to pay twice well (laughs) beanstalk beanstalk is in the is in the server side business is in the user server business as well where github is not necessarily yeah So there are also um, a few client-side apps you can use for version control, but they're not really specifically about CSS. It's more about working with uh, sort of a code base and and other members of your team. Um, We do kind of want to mention one last tool just just to kind of make sure that your CSS is a little more uniform um, com- you know, and, and compared with everyone else that's uh, contributing to it, and that's um, processor P R O C S S O R. Nathan, you've used this a little bit, right? Yeah, processor is well, it does CSS minification, but it puts more emphasis on the reverse process, where you've got some either some minified CSS or some code that's been written by ten different people who all have slightly different style preferences for line breaks and brackets and spacing and everything. And processor, basically, you you feed it some files and you set up your preferences for how you want the code to be formatted in terms of I want it to be, um, you know, each each selector on a new line and one space between the bracket and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And then you run your files through it and it reformats everything to match exactly that uh, that that settings. And you can use that either to unminify code and make it readable or to take code that is messy and from a whole bunch of different people or or just you've changed your mind halfway through you can convert everything to whatever you want to use for standard formatting so that's it's helpful for for working on a team or if you want to learn from other people's code that's hosted on their website but minified you can pull that down and run it through processor so it's readable are there any tools that will take um regular css and then like try to intelligently infer um some sass or whatever um that would yeah there there are i think i think there are i don't know how i mean i I know there are conversion tools i don't know how intelligent they actually are and i don't know the name of any particular one but there is a a css to sass tool and i think probably css to less tools as well okay i suppose they wouldn't have to be too intelligent um any any additional structural change is probably better than none at all. So, um, and and that's the, you know, the nice thing about having it be a strict superset is that you can rename, you know, you can change the extension on your file and have it be valid SAS. And then you can just start integrating variables and, and mixins and whatever else as you go. Precisely. So I think we basically covered it. I think we've covered, um, you know, um, editing, um, with basic text editors, more advanced IDEs, some additional tools that you can use to generate CSS like text expander, uh, testing in your browser, um, and then going to sort of a little bit beyond CSS, some basic CSS into stuff like processing and deployment. Um, and if you, if, if you, the listener, have any questions uh, about anything that we've mentioned here, feel free to ask on Ask Different. Uh, Nathan will, promises that he will answer all your questions in a timely fashion. Of course, within <laughs> it, thirty-two minutes. It's summer now, so Nathan has nothing better to do. Nothing. At That's all. a fact. 
That being said, this has been the Ask Different Podcast. You can find our show in most podcast apps by searching for Ask Different Podcast. Our direct RSS link and show notes for this and all of our episodes are at apple.blogoverflow.com. You can reach us anywhere on Ask Different or at podcast at askdifferent.net. Thanks for listening.